I think the biggest element of Hopper's culture that's really helped, for one, is the customer-obsessed uh, culture that we have, where everything we do is tied to customer needs. Every initiative that you start at Hopper has to start with a specific customer need. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi everyone, we are happy to have our next guest with us today, Makoto Ryo Kihara, who leads user acquisition at Hopper. Hopper is one of the fastest growing travel apps with over 60 million installs to date. Makoto is previously the director of marketing at Cruise Hub, an OTA aiming to modernize the cruise industry and led search engine marketing at BuzzBud, a bus travel booking platform in 80 countries. So happy to have you here, Makoto. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start a bit with what does Hopper does. And, you know, I gave this super quick intro, but let's hear it from you. And how does your day-to-day, you know, role look like? Yeah, Hopper's a mobile app for booking travel, including flights, hotels, and car rental. And we also have a suite of data-driven products that help our users save more money. So, for example, we predict future flight and hotel prices with 95% recommendation accuracy. And we also allow users to freeze flight and hotel prices if they're not quite ready to book and they need more time to plan. We also have all kinds of features around making the travel booking process a little bit easier and allowing our users to book with more confidence. So features like making any trip flexible with flexible date tickets or making them fully cancelable with refundable tickets and even sort of uh, protection products like disruption protection where if your flight gets delayed or uh, if you miss a layover, we'll just rebook you for free. Wow, that's cool. And the newest part of Hopper is now we're distributing a lot of those products through a newer Hopper Cloud B2B offering, and we're distributing to companies who sell travel uh, or companies like Capital One as well. Wow, that's cool. So what does your role look like? You are acquiring, you know, you're leading user acquisition. What does that mean? Tell us a bit, some stories on how you do that every day. Yeah, so my day-to-day is really around leading uh, paid marketing for Hopper. So that includes the marketers themselves and figuring out what's one of the best channels where do we want to acquire users? How do we increase the, the quality of our paid users? It also includes the creative side of the team. So how do we make the best ad creative and make creative that's compelling and helps us lower acquisition costs? And it also includes the engineering and data science side of the team where we're constantly trying to build better infrastructure, better automation, and trying to see how we can use our engineering capabilities to, to add more leverage to our, to our user acquisition team. So my day-to-day is mostly kind of overseeing all three of those parts and sort of making sure that we're hitting our targets and scaling as quickly as possible. Do you have any you know, big insights uh, from this past couple of years? Have been, there's definitely been, been a lot of change in the market. Are there certain networks that perform better than others? Anything that you've tried that you know did really well that maybe you didn't expect it to do that well? Yeah, I'd say one of the kind of special things that Hopper has about channel-wise is that most travel companies focus almost exclusively on Google search to grow. The common playbook in travel is essentially to have a lot of search campaigns running by Google ads to convert high intent users. That's because travel is a very 
high consideration and, and generally low frequency products. So it makes sense to show ads to people who are actively searching. Yeah. And then Expedia, Booking, brands like them, they spend billions of dollars doing that. But obviously, because of that, it's also very competitive. Yeah, it's probably very expensive. <laughs> very expensive. And it's not very mobile app friendly either, because with the app download, we have this whole extra high friction step that other companies don't. So it's very hard for us to be competitive on those channels. So Hopper is a little bit different in that sense, where we're entirely paid social focused travel company. And rather than trying to focus on CPC and session level conversion, we're a lot more focused on building user trust over time. So we'll actively tell you, for example, when you see a flight price, we don't think it's a great price. We'll actually tell you not to buy it. And there aren't many e-commerce companies that, that do that. Uh, and when it is time to buy, we notify you and we offer you all kinds of ways to hedge your purchase or, or buy more time. So that's, that leads to really strong retention and is, it allows us to acquire these lower intent users who are on paid social we're able to nurture them until they are ready to book through our retention. And so we're able to use channels like paid social and, and the other mobile app install channels in general. And when you talk about paid social, is it more the traditional networks like Facebook, Twitter, etc.? Or are you like doubling into some of the newer ones like TikTok, Snapchat? Have you started or have you tried those? We definitely are more focused on Facebook as a whole, just because that's where we see the best results and that's where we see the most volume. But we do uh, spend pretty heavily as well on the secondary social channels. Uh, lately, TikTok has been a really fast-growing channel for us. There's a lot of opportunity to make compelling creative there. And our user base definitely skews younger than, than other travel companies as well, so it fits. And we also do some Snapchat, some Twitter. Uh, we've done some Pinterest on and off. But I'd say primarily it still is Facebook-centric, but we're branching out more and more. Okay, so I know TikTok is one that many marketers, and I, including people on the show, have said that they want to try, but they don't quite know where to start. And, you know, are you willing, can you share some of the creative that you've tried in the past? And how did that go? Tell us a story. Yeah, TikTok in general is, I'd say, well, with most ad channels that we launch, we always try by starting to look at what is the native content on that platform and how do we make ads that look like the native content? So the best performing ads we have, TikTok or otherwise, are generally ads that look like uh, user posts. So if you start using TikTok, you start to notice that the organic content there looks very different from the organic content on Twitter or on Facebook or, or even Snapchat. So the creatives that work well for us are ones where we try, we pretend that we're just making a regular TikTok and it happens to mention Hopper and it happens to mention our value propositions, but it looks like content that you could see on your feed on TikTok. And those ads have, have done really well. Some of those we will find TikTokers that we find funny or compelling and we'll hire them to make videos for us. Some of them is just our team too that, that will make it uh, as well. And the thing with TikTok too is that the creative saturation is really fast. Yeah, It's, it's not like Facebook where you can ride off of one creative for a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. TikTok we've found is maybe up to two weeks. So you not only need to figure out the good ad ideas, we need to figure out how to produce them very consistently too, because you need a much higher cadence with channels like TikTok. That's so interesting. It's like the importance of being incredibly creative is coming back, right? You need to have the numbers, you need to be able to look at what works, but also be extremely creative. Otherwise, you know, you won't make it, right? Yeah, I think that's that's happening in general in user acquisition where a lot of the ad networks are 
abstracting the details, a lot of the details of ad buying away, where we're moving from the times when, especially on Facebook, right? Like people used to have hundreds of ad sets with like these super granular targeting. And it was all about like all the, you know, hacks. I did that. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like AAA, right? Where Facebook's just like, you know what? Just give us a bunch of creatives. We'll figure out the rest. And, you know, Google's yeah. obviously gone in that direction too. And exactly, I think we're getting a little bit closer to what traditional advertising was like where you there's a lot more focus on creative and figuring out like like advertising you know like what are the best creatives we can use but on the other extreme it's made the data science and and even the product side a lot more interesting because that's the only other lever you have now that's incredibly cool so i was looking uh you know i was looking at hopper and you guys are in the travel industry which was hit really hard in 2020 but despite all of that you did you had a good year Tell us about that. Tell us about how was your 2020 and what do you think contributed to you guys having a good year? Overall, we did do pretty well in 2020. We closed the year with about 110% year-over-year revenue growth. Wow. And obviously that wasn't just, uh, it wasn't a smooth ride though. You know, obviously the pandemic was a really volatile year for us. When the pandemic first hit, like in March or April of, of 2020, there were months where our revenue dropped 80, 90%. And obviously, those were really tough months for the company. But we sort of stayed focused on continuing to build a world-class travel booking platform. A lot of our customer needs didn't change that much. People wanted low prices. People wanted flexible booking options. And so on the product development side, I think we kept a really good pace. And for one, our hotels business really matured. We launched car rentals as well and Hopper and Hotel and car rental together are now about 40% of the travel sales on Hopper. On the fintech side too, we, we really developed our fintech suite and we found product market fit on a few new fintech products too. And on a revenue basis, fintech is now about 60% of our revenue. So we actually make more from fintech products than, than travel products. That's cool. <laughs> so overall, we're a lot more diversified. Like air, the actual revenue from flight tickets is less than 20% of our revenue. Wow. And a lot of those new products were growing very quickly. A lot of those categories recovered more quickly than flights too, like hotels and car rental. We also just have a younger demographic as well that was a little bit more comfortable with traveling. So in aggregate, we grew that 110%. But this year has been absolutely crazy, and we're on track for about 300% year-over-year revenue growth. Uh, we're going to sell... That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a pretty crazy year, and we're on track to sell over a billion dollars of travel this year. So, super impressive. In a way, you almost like reinvented yourself as a company when COVID hit. What do you think was it about you know, the company's culture or the way you approach this that allowed you to make so many changes and reinvent yourself and be still be successful despite all these challenges? I think the, the biggest element of, of Hopper's culture that's really helped for one is like the customer obsessed uh, culture that we have where everything we do is tied to customer needs. And everything, every initiative that you start at Hopper has to start with a specific customer need, not with a need for revenue or a product that we have that we want to enhance. Uh, so we were able to identify a lot of customer needs that were especially true during the pandemic, but that stayed true after the pandemic. And that were the basis of products like price freeze, where users were sort of anxious about seeing a price they like and not being able to buy it right away and missing a price that they liked. Uh, so products like price freeze really resonated when we did launch them. But the other thing that, that really helps is our organizational structure as well. 
And we adopt the same organizational structure as Amazon, where uh, we don't have a product team and a design team and an engineering team and like the matrix organizational structure that a lot of companies have. We have a fintech team. And within the fintech team, there's a price freeze team, a disruption protection team. Similarly, within flights, there's a flights team, there's a hotels team. And each of those teams have everything they need to make that product successful, including data scientists, PMs, engineers, designers, all embedded within one team. And what that created is that every single project that Hopper had a dedicated owner for it that was accountable, but also had the autonomy to actually make it succeed. And when you have teams in a matrix structure that are focused on multiple things at once and initiatives that are sort of spread out through the, through the company, we found that the most difficult things tend to get deprioritized. And the most difficult projects to, to crack and to figure out uh, tend to take a very long time to figure out. But when you take smart people and you tell them that you know your job is to figure out one thing and one thing only, and you have everything you need to make that work, they tend to be able to figure it out. So that's what's allowed us to simultaneously build out a hotels business and a fintech business and a car rental business. Because for each of those, there are dedicated teams who are only thinking about those things. And eventually, they always figure something out. And Amazon does the same thing. Where they're one of the few companies I know who can simultaneously build AWS and the Amazon.com marketplace and a logistics business and the Kindle and Alexa. Right? Those are all very different businesses, but they have teams completely independent of each other focused on building them. So eventually, they figure all of them out. I love it. That's cool. And so the, how do those people from like the same function, like all the different marketing, how do they, or, or the different product managers, how do they learn from each other? I think I've struggled at branch. We all definitely struggle with like how, when people are in two different matrices, whether they're in like a local country team, but also a marketer or also product manager, how do you deal with that? How does that work? Yeah. On, we do have a unified growth team. So the one thing that is common across all products is that growth touches all products. So user acquisition, for example, uh, we mirror the structure of the company where there's a UA manager focused on flights, a UA manager focused on hotels as well. Uh, but they all live within the same user acquisition team, which is a little bit different from how we organize product development. But the way that we're able to sort of learn as a company is that for one, Every single leader in the company, like everyone who owns a product like Price Freeze, gets on a call once a week. They share their progress, learnings, challenges they're having. And that call sort of serves as a way for everyone to stay in sync as to how are teams solving different challenges? How are we getting better over time? And then what the exec team does too is they're sort of the glue between everything where they have visibility into all the teams so they can help teams level up based on something a, a different team uh, found out. And in general, too, they're focused on implementing the processes and, and the systems across the company based on things that we learn within one team. So a lot of the best ideas that come out of each team eventually bubble up to the rest of the company through those two mechanisms. Very interesting. It gives me a lot to think about. So let's switch back more to where your personal career growth. You know, you're a growth leader in the travel and hospitality space. Let's start with maybe something that we wouldn't be able to find you or about your work at Hopper by Google search. What's something like interesting that you would be willing to share with us? I'd say for one, the point about us growing mostly via paid social is something that not a lot of people expect. 
But another thing is that we, we used to focus primarily on, on flight deals. And we were for a very long time advertising mostly flights. And a, a lot of people still know us primarily as a flight company. But over the past year, with the revenue of the company diversifying on the user acquisition front, we've also had to diversify and, and learn to diversify quite a bit. And one thing that we noticed is that specifically advertising features like price freeze is harder from a creative perspective because they're not as intuitive as, as cheap flights and take a little bit longer to explain, uh, but they lead to much uh, higher quality users. So we've been going down the path of figuring out the best messaging, the best creative concepts for all of the different value props that we have. And we're building a team that's able to do that as well. So like I mentioned, we have UA managers now. Instead of having a couple UA managers sort of touching on everything, we have a hotel UA manager, a flight UA manager. Each of them are just really focused on figuring out that specific vertical to mirror the way that we've structured the product team. And even on the creative side, uh, we're starting to specialize people more and more to help us diversify and help us make sure that as we launch other travel products and other fintech products, they're able to acquire users for them specifically as well. And how did, what's, this, what's your personal growth story? How did you get to where you are today? Uh, how did you get to work in user acquisition? Are you a marketer by training? Tell us a bit about your journey. My first first start in marketing was actually early in high school when my friends and I launched this like music blog for music that we liked at the time, mostly just to share music between each other. And it was just like a board of links, basically, that, that we maintained. And eventually, we all started getting into really building it out. And we got to a few hundred readers per day. Cool. We were interviewing artists and whatnot, and it was getting really fun. But what I was always really interested in is the side of trying to get more readers onto the blog. And so I remember sort of starting to research how that's done. And I, I remember going to a bookstore after school and buying digital marketing for dummies. And that was where I just discovered the world of like online marketing, where I started learning about these things like SEO and, and uh, you know, content marketing and all these things that I'd never heard about, obviously. And I found the whole thing just super interesting and really fascinating. And so. As soon as I started working, I was mostly working in, in marketing roles. And I eventually got into the travel space through my time at BusBud, uh, which is like a bus travel booking platform. I was there for two years and uh, finished off uh, leading the search engine marketing side of the company. I joined a company called Cruise Hub after that, which was a startup incubated in this pretty big travel company called Flight Hub. And there was like a very different role where I joined on the day that we launched the product. And the work was more like figuring out the initial channels, more like full funnel growth projects. Uh, eventually, though, we got to profitability, we had really healthy revenue growth. Uh, we got to a seed round of about 1.5 million in, in, in the first year. But after that, I joined Hopper, where my boss at, at BusBud was the head of UA at Hopper. And uh, I started out working on hotel user acquisition. And since last summer, after the old head of UA left, I've been leading the team. What a cool personal growth story. I love that you started by buying marketing for dummies. This is the first time I heard this. Yeah, and I still I still have it too. Oh, and cool. I, I still have my old notes from it and everything. So what's one campaign or feature you're most proud of in your career? I'd say Hopper's starting to get pretty good at launching new products. And a lot of what I've, the work I'm most proud of at Hopper is the work that we've done to to launch 
those new products. And I feel like as a team, we've just gotten better at figuring out like the zero to one user acquisition for new products. So hotels, for example, is really new for Hopper for a while, uh, but we figured out the user acquisition strategy to the point where we can spend really aggressively at really good paybacks. Car rental is a more recent story where uh, we're, we're doing some really serious volume on, on car rental now. And it's only been three, four months since we even started testing at all. And since these newer products don't have as much organic traction to start, I find it's particularly rewarding because you're really quickly moving the needle and unlocking a lot of opportunity and a lot of volume for, for these product teams as well. Uh, so when I look back, I find those are the campaigns I'm most proud of because that's where like we have the most impact. This is my favorite question. But how about the failure story? Something you thought to do well but didn't? Yeah, I'd say we I mean we fail pretty often at all kinds of things day to day. But the, there's like one big lesson that we we keep learning a couple times and that it's there's a very low correlation between the creative production cost or like the aesthetic of a creative that we make and the actual performance. And so we've had a few times where we make ads that look really great and just look fantastic, but do well, less well than a meme that I made or a screenshot of a user review that we use as an ad. And generally, I find that we often make the mistakes of sometimes making ads that marketers like, as in the type of marketing that looks really appealing to people within the company yeah, and fits, fits like the traditional idea of what you think of as what a good ad looks like that you would see in ad age or something, but that your actual customers don't really care about or respond to. So over time, we've gotten much better at more customer-centric creative, and it's led us to, to tripling our, our IPM over the past six months, but it's wow. also led us to sort of have less of these high-investment failures where we spend a lot of time producing these really beautiful ads, and then our customers just don't care. That's really interesting, and it makes me think a lot. Note to self, go and test an ad with a branch customer testimony in, in it. That's so cool. And what's, you know, like when you think about metrics, what is like your metric that you look at daily, weekly, monthly? What's your most important metric for you in your day-to-day? Yeah, if I had to distill it into one metric, it would just be contribution margin of a cohort because we're essentially going for profitability and volume. Yep. Uh, but what those really distill into is like payback period and volume are the two things that we look at the most. So generally, there's a lot of nuance, especially with travel. You know, there's hundreds and thousands of, of, of products that we sell. The hotel users, flight users, fintech users, car users are all very different. So there's all these metrics that we track down the line to see how the share is looking. And even like the product level metrics change a lot, like right? buying a one hour flight and buying an international flight very different revenue profiles for Hopper. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is, are we spending more money and are we doing it at the right payback period? But down the line, one of the things that we've been measuring more and more is uh, something we call on-target rate. And it measures whether we're good at driving the specific purchases that we want to drive. So the on-target rate for a car rental campaign, for example, would be for this car rental campaign, what percentage of the purchases are car rentals? Because one of the things that as a team we want to get really good at is this like pinpointed ability to drive specific user actions because the RPU varies really widely between product categories, even within categories. So the better we get at driving specific actions, the better we're going to be able to increase the average RPU 
just by getting people to buy something different. And doing that at the creative level is challenging, but we've been able to do it quite a bit on some of our categories. So it's something that we track to make sure that we're getting better at it over time. So one of the big changes that will that has happened, you know, over the past year in the industry is, you know, the changes with IDFA and privacy that Apple has launched that will is that are limiting some of the um, targeting that you're mentioning. How are you thinking about that, preparing for that? Yeah, it's it's obviously going to impose some constraints, but a lot of the changes that we've seen in terms of user behavior is much more driven by the creatives than by any targeting. So Hopper in general, one of the advantages I think that we have for the post iOS 14.5 world is that we don't really rely on very sophisticated user targeting. Even install optimized campaigns and with the targeting of like 18 to 65 US performs pretty much just as well as anything else we've ever tried. We're not a very specific niche product, right? Like flights, hotels, car rentals, especially in the coming years, people start to travel more. There's a pretty high percentage of the US population that will buy one of those three things. So we haven't really noticed much uh, fluctuation in user behavior by changing audiences or you know playing with lookalikes and, and that whole game that a lot of mobile app advertisers are, are, are rely on, we, we don't really play at all. For us, it's really just the creative. So if we run a creative that talks about price freeze, this was a really surprising thing for us. We're not even a change in onboarding, no change in targeting, just saying a creative about price freeze doubled, well, increased by 2.5x wow. the rate of users who are buying a price freeze with their flight. It's just purely from the ad creative. So what's going to be a little bit challenging is, is measuring the impact of these things more so than, than the targeting side. But between the signals we have on Android and, and other signals we have, I think we'll still be able to test and get better, but it, it's just going to get a lot harder to have that feedback loop. Totally. And as the industry keeps changing, you seem to have given us a lot of examples of learning new things, adapting. How do you keep yourself growing? For one, I have, I've had a string of really great bosses that have helped me learn a lot and that have, have allowed me to think keep my growth on pace with the company's growth, which is always difficult with high growth companies like Hopper. For one, like my, my boss at Cruise Hub, Sam Poirier, he was a really young guy, but really successful already, like Teal Fellow and you know serial entrepreneur. And he just had like a level of ambition that was way beyond anything I'd ever seen before. And generally just made me really expand my goals and ambition. Simon Dojen, who was the former head of UA at Hopper, who's also my boss at BuzzFud, He's just like a really excellent marketer, taught me a lot of what I know about marketing as a whole. And I owe a lot about my UA knowledge to him. And Dakota is my, my current boss, the chief strategy officer at Hopper. He's really good at looking at businesses from a macro perspective, like setting strategy, designing teams and processes. That's been really great to learn about through him. Uh, but he's also really good at taking large, complex problems and breaking them down into what the root cause is. What are the levers we can pull? How can we build a roadmap to solve it quickly and efficiently? And that's something I wasn't very good at. Uh, and I'm still learning a lot about. So I've been able to learn a lot from him. Along with that, too, I'd say I try to read as much as I can, just because there's so much changing in marketing and so much to catch up on in general. So generally, there's like three categories of, of reading I like to do, one of which is more history focused books that have practical lessons. So 
more general ones, like uh, there's a book called Strategy, a History by Sir Lawrence Friedman that I really like. That's like an overview of the history of strategy since since the Bible, basically like super high level analysis. And I found that really interesting and some more biographical, like uh, I'm reading one right now called Leadership in Turbulent Times. And it's about how the two Roosevelt's, uh, Lincoln and LBJ all sort of got into the president office and how they, what they went through to growing up that sort of made them who they are. So I like those. I, I really like reading deep dives on, on companies and how a specific industry or business model operates. A lot about Amazon, especially because we're, we model after them. And a lot of like technical blogs and content too. Like I really like CTO newsletters, data engineering newsletters. And usually like reading these, I can't understand half of what they're saying because it's way beyond my technical level. But over time, I find you sort of start to absorb information and absorb kind of what's current, what are people thinking about, what are some of the new things that companies are doing. And since I work pretty closely with data engineering members of the team, I find it's made it a lot easier to communicate with them, make sure we're on the same page, since I don't come from an engineering background. That's really cool. And those are some really awesome suggestions. So before we end, it's been great learning from you, but we actually end with three somewhat, you know, silly questions. Number one, if you had to delete all the apps and you could only keep one app, what would it be? Hopper, for sure. You're the only person, I think, on the podcast that has said the app that they work for. I think you're like number 60. I'm very, very loyal to Hopper. Okay, that's awesome. I love it. I feel like you're bleeding Hopper. It's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, if you had an app to talk to one animal and one animal alone, I guess it could be a type of animal. What animal would it be? I'd probably download an app to, to be able to talk to my cat because I wish I could tell him that my girlfriend and I feed him at the same time every single day so he doesn't have to wake us up and make a big fuss about it. That is really funny. Okay, Dan, he probably knows that. I'm not sure it would make a difference if you told him, but... You could try. Yeah, he might just be willingly ignoring it. Yeah. I think he knows. He just thinks he can convince you to change your mind every morning. <laughs> Probably. And then what's a, an unlikely app on your phone? Unlikely app, I'd say I have a couple of Chinese apps that, that I've been trying out. Mostly because the the numbers that apps like, like I've been playing around with like, a, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but an app called Pinduoduo, which is like this e-commerce app. And they do like 3 billion in rev per quarter. And there are these huge apps that I've never really used or even heard about sometimes. And they're growing, like Pinduoduo is growing 200% year over year with already a few billion in revenue per quarter. Wow. And just using the products is really interesting because like, I can't read what's on the screen, but the layouts, the, the features they have, the engagement mechanisms that they use, are all often very different from how North American apps are built. So I find it's just kind of cool to explore these apps because it's this like alternate world of product development where things evolve in a very different way. And sometimes those cool things that they do uh, that I've always wondered like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Maybe we can port that over to Hopper. Uh, so I've been trying to use them more and more just to sort of explore around and see what people are doing. That's really interesting. I know like even when I use WeChat, when I go to our China office, I like get really lost. So I definitely understand what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting way of looking at it. It's cool that you do that. 
I feel I learned a lot. I have all these new ideas for things to do in my in my marketing campaigns, although we're not a B2C company. And uh, I'm thinking about which new Chinese app to download. <laughs> but it's been so great having you. Really appreciative of your time. And this was really awesome to learn from you today. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.